We're going to be hearing from God's word now, and we're going to be turning in a church Bible to uh, page 1159. That's 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We're going to be starting at verse 12. So that's page 1159, the book of 2 Corinthians, jumping in. At chapter 1, verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand, And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia. And then to let you send me on my way to Judea. I was, was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner, so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, Who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would share share all share my joy, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. 
I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Good. Well, lovely to see you here. And we're going to be uh, looking together at that part of 2 Corinthians as we continue with our book of the year, uh, which is uh, the gospel of uh, a gospel according to weakness. But before we come back to that quite complicated part of 2 Corinthians, I think it'd be wise to pray. So shall we pray together? Let's pray. Those words again from the reading. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Father of compassion, God of all comfort, thank you that, that every Christian in this room, every Christian here this afternoon, has had their spirit put into their hearts as a seal of ownership and a guarantee of the future. And so I pray, Father God, very confidently, knowing the spirit is within us, that, that we would hear your voice. And as we hear your voice, that your spirit will be at work, changing each one of us so we become more like your son. Please um, challenge us and change us in, in, in the way that you desire. And ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, who can you trust? That's the question that's be, that people have been asking this week. Uh, in the light of uh, the death of Sarah Everard on the 3rd of March this year, who can you trust? How do you know that people are genuine? How do you know that when someone says that they're in authority, that they're genuinely in authority over them? Uh, you see the image on the screen. It's just a horrifying image of uh, the policeman, Wayne Cousins. He showed Sarah Everard his police warrant and told her that he was arresting her. And people have rightly said this week, that is, I, a horrifying betrayal of trust in the authority that we place in the police force in our, in, in our country. Many of us would, would trust a police officer, wouldn't we? I mean, what, what choice do we have? And the MP Jess Phillips said this week, you probably saw that in the, in the news, that she would have got into Wayne Cousins' car. She said almost anyone would. Uh, but now the trust that we have in the Metropolitan Police has been eroded. Of course it has because it's been abused. Who can you trust? Uh, well, this letter to Corinthians is written in the middle of a trust crisis in, uh, in, in the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul had gone to Corinth. You can read about it in Acts 18. He'd gone to Corinth and he planted a church. No one had heard about Jesus until he turned up in Corinth. That was seven years previously. They, they, people had become Christians under Paul. He'd done a faithful work. An amazing way, really. 
but now there's this situation seven years down the line where some new leaders had, had turned up and they'd started rubbishing, they started trash talking the Apostle Paul and saying that he's not really the kind of guy that you'd want to follow. Uh, they were undermining his authority because their version of Christianity was all about looking impressive, looking shiny, uh, having pizzazz. And they're saying that compared with that, Paul's a little bit uh, shabby, uh, a, a little bit sad. He doesn't have the, the, the power pose that, um, that you need to be a church leader, that's what they're saying. And they say, you don't believe that Paul's given you the, the, the goods. You know, don't believe he's given you the whole nine yards. Um, his ministry is a bit weak and unimpressive. Uh, it's a bit um, frayed around the edges. Um, and so the church in Corinth is having to choose between these two versions of Christianity, you see. Uh, one of which looks very impressive, one of which looks a little bit sad. Yeah. And that's why Paul's writing to Corinthians, you see. Because he's writing to tell them that the real gospel, and, and this is a bit counterintuitive, that the real gospel is actually a gospel of weakness. It makes us look weak. It makes God look very strong. And that's a great thing. But it makes us, who are gospel ministers, look very weak. So Paul says he's been suffering for their comfort. You might, have, uh, you might remember that from from last week. Paul's been suffering for their comfort. It doesn't look great. But it's the way that God designs ministry to be. He's, he's asked for their prayers. Remember that in chapter 1? He needs their prayers. He's quite needy. <laughs> That's what real gospel ministry looks like. You ask people for help. And the fact that Paul's plans have sometimes looked a little bit awkward. We come to that this week. It looks a, a, a little bit sort of messy like they do in today's section. The, the fact that he says he's going to go and see them and then he doesn't go and see them. That, that's actually a sign that he's understood uh, the, the, the true gospel of the good news about Jesus Christ. You can trust him because he's making decisions according to that gospel and it's a gospel of weakness. It doesn't always look sort of complete and neat. It doesn't always look powerful and shiny, but it's real because it's like God. And so you see, if the Corinthian church reject Paul then they're rejecting God himself. And that's a scary place to be. So the challenge for us is if, you know, if we've ever felt a bit unsure about the Apostle Paul, you know, if you're ever worried that, that Paul is too narrow and restrictive, and you've only got to Google Apostle Paul to find out what people think of him, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever felt that, if, if you don't know who to trust in Christian leadership, and there are lots of Christian leaders in London, for you to choose from. Or if you, if you want to examine your own motives in the way that you look after and love other people, the way that you might have a ministry amongst people here at Trinity or amongst your family, if you want to think about those things, if you want to be trustworthy as a Christian and you want to follow trustworthy people, then this part of the Bible is for you. Let's have a look at it. Here's the first section, and uh, we're giving it a heading like this. It comes from verses 12 to 22, trustworthy ministry isn't fickle, it's faithful. And Paul's not always changing his mind. He's not being fickle in that way. He's being faithful. 
Uh, but some people um, are sort of accusing you as being a, a, a bit of a snowflake. If you, um, if you uh, um, were a, sort of became an adult in the 2010s, then uh, you're what's known as the snowflake generation. That's what people call you um, out there in the media. They say that you have difficulties with commitment, uh, that you're easily offended, that you're less resilient than other people. That's where, how, how the accusation goes. Uh, if you became an adult in the 2010s. I don't know whether you think that's, that's fair. But if that's what you've been told, you're not alone. Okay, because um, the Apostle Paul, probably grew up in the AD 10s, um, he was accused of the same thing. That was the accusation. He was a snowflake. That he was fickle. And when he said that he was going to Corinth, he'd already been a couple of times. He said he was going back to Corinth to visit them. That he'd had a few commitment issues and uh, he hadn't kept his word. That comes in verse 16. Have a look at that, chapter 1 of Corinthians, page 1159, verse 16. Paul talks about his travel plans. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to let you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle? When I, when I intended to do this, that was the accusation that the church were making of him. Or do I make my plans in a, in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? You see the issue, they think he's fickle. He's got commitment problems. Because at the end of 1 Corinthians, he says this, uh, I want to come and visit you. Uh, and, and here's the map, actually. Have a look at the map. Uh, it's, um, it's just a copy of the map you've got in the, in, the, in the back of your Bibles. You can turn to that if you want to on the, in the back inside cover. Um, so Paul was in Ephesus. He was going up to Macedonia, um, up at the top, and he could have swung by Corinth. That was his option. Uh, in the same way that you, we used to live close to the South Mim services. And uh, when people were heading for a country, you know, for a holiday in the West Country, we say, well, come and see us, you know, swing by. It'd be nice to see you. Um, and we, we hope that they, that they would. Why didn't Paul call in? Why didn't he go to Corinth? Was he a snowflake? Can he be trusted? See she. Well, interestingly, he doesn't say straight away why he changed his, um, his travel plans. But the first thing he does, if, if you notice, is he... Uh, he says that God isn't fickle. God doesn't change his mind. He's a faithful God. You can trust him. And verses 19 and 20 make that point. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. This is what he writes. Straight after talking about his travel plans. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yet in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. God is a faithful God. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. It's the most amazing thing. Let me tell you. It's the most amazing thing. How do you know that there's a God who can be trusted? Because his promises are all yes in Jesus. So... Um, if you're looking for him this afternoon, can you find him? Yes. 
If you come close to him, will he accept you? Yes. Can all of your past mistakes be forgiven? Yes. That is what the God of the Bible is like. He's real and he's here and he will do business with you. He can be trusted. And every promise in the Bible that God has made is yes because of Jesus. And do you know what amen means in verse 20? Do you know the meaning of that word? It means it is true. So Christians are people who recognize God's faithfulness and then he, he anoints us, verse 21, and he sets his seal of ownership on us and he puts his spirit in our heart as a deposit so we can stand firm. And then we say, amen, it is true. Now, if we were in another church, uh, people at this point would be crying out, amen, amen. But we're British, so we can't do that. I'll take it as red. Okay, I'll take it as red. Amen. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> but Paul is saying, you know, I'm, I'm not a snowflake. I'm not fickle. You can trust me because I've told you about a God who is not a snowflake. And those two things are, are, are inextricably linked. In other words, the message has made the man. The message has made the man. The, the, the content of his message has been all about God's faithfulness. That was the verse 18. Have a look at that. That's the, that's the message that was preached among them by him. That's the content of his message. And so the consequences of that message speak of God's faithfulness and produce faithfulness in him. That's how he stands firm. And sometimes gospel ministry like that looks a bit weak and it looks a bit shabby and it looks a bit, I know, a bit awkward. But underneath it's faithful. Faithful ministry, yeah? Now here's the challenge, and I'm going to warn you that it's a tough one. In your heart of hearts, who do you trust? Who do you really trust? And specifically, do you trust the Apostle Paul? I think that's the most direct way to bring a challenge into the 21st century. Do we trust the Apostle Paul? Because that is the issue at stake and what Paul's saying here and you can come and if you want to come and pour a cup of tea over my head later on uh, out of uh, you know a feeling of, uh, of being insulted please do but this I think is what Paul's saying he's saying that any any distance that exists between us and Paul exists between us and God that's quite challenging isn't it because to us, it seems like Paul has a very narrow gospel. It's very uncomfortable sitting on something narrow, isn't it? You know, we, we find it quite hard. You know, in, in, in the workplace, when we're asked to sign a card celebrating a, um, a colleague's same-sex marriage, it's really hard, isn't it? When we're asked to um, celebrate Ramadan in our office, as I know some of you have been, that is a real issue for us. I mean, we need to pray for wisdom and sensitivity when those things happen. But if we want to take Paul seriously, we can't fully engage in that. That's really hard. When Paul talks about um, men having headship in marriage and, and in the church, that's hard, isn't it? But if we want to take Paul seriously, we can't ignore that. You know, there's, there's a sort of popular... 
um, explanation of the Bible, which is doing the rounds, isn't it? Which says that um, that Jesus was a carpenter who was just full of love and generosity and had a big smile on his face. And then Paul made Christianity narrow and bigoted. And um, uh, it was him who made Christianity misogynist and all kinds of things are leveled at the Apostle Paul. But Paul's gospel is God's gospel. That's hard. I, I, I love what another apostle, the Apostle Peter, writes about Paul uh, in another part, of the, another part of the Bible. It's quite interesting hearing one apostle give an opinion on another apostle. This is what he says in 2 Peter. You see it up on the screen. It says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Tell me they are which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And he's right, you know. Uh, these new leaders in Corinth were trash-talking Paul, and that's a sign that they've started believing in a, in a different gospel completely. Be very careful, says Paul, because not every ministry can be trusted. Some ministries lead to destruction. Don't believe everyone who claims to speak the word of God. But an apparently weak ministry is often the one that reflects the faithfulness of God himself, you see. That's the first point from uh, this part of 2 Corinthians. Quite challenging. But Paul still hasn't fully explained why, why he never turned up in Corinth. And, um, you know, he sort of took it off the green travel list and put it on the red travel list. And he needs to explain that. And that's what he goes on to talk about as he shows people his authentic, weak-looking ministry in the second half of the passage. Here's a summary. Trustworthy ministry isn't unloving. It's forgiving. It's not unloving, it's forgiving. Um, I don't know whether you've had the chance to see the new Bond film yet. Anyone um, had the chance to see that? Yeah, just a few people. We went to see it on, um, went to see it on Thursday night. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how it all ends. Um, but towards the end, you'll know, you'll know exactly how it works if you've seen a, a lot of Bond films. Towards the end, there's the obligatory speech by the baddie. Okay, there's always one of those, isn't there? Where he sort of explains his evil ideas. And uh, this is no, um, it's all very traditional. Uh, we like tradition in the Church of England. And um, he, um, uh, he gives the traditional speech. And the baddie says to James Bond, we both do the same thing. I just want it to be tidier. That's what he says. I just want it to be tidier. And, uh, and, and sometimes, sometimes baddies do want things to be neat and tidy, you know, but not the Apostle Paul. He doesn't want things to be superficially neat and tidy. You know, it might sometimes look a bit awkward and, and messy, a bit confusing, but that's what happens when you act out of love. That's what happens when you put the gospel first. So Paul says, um, I've acted out of love. I've acted out of love, says Paul. Search your experience. He says that um, right, at, right at the first part of the reading that we had. He says it's all about grace. That's his boast. It seems like a strange word for him to use, doesn't it? He's, he's sort of boasting. But he's not bigging himself up. 
in, uh, for the sake of it. He, he wants them to take into account their own experience of him. So he talks about his ministry among them in verse 12. And then he says effectively, to quote another baddie, I think Darth Vader in this case, he says, um, search your feelings, you know it to be true. Yeah, he says, this is, this is your experience of me. Have a look at verse 12. Now this is our boast, he says. Our conscience testifies that we had conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. We're full of love because God is so full of love. Search your experience, says Paul. Chapter 2, verse 1. Why, why didn't you come and visit us, Paul? They're asking. Well, I didn't want to grieve you, he says. You know, I, I, I love you too much for that. Chapter 2, verse 1. I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? And Paul says, I, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to grieve you. He says, I've acted out of love. You know that. You've seen that. And you know that that's true. Search your experience, says Paul. I've acted out of love. And then search the evidence as well. First piece of evidence, just over the page where it says forgiveness for the offender. Page 1160 comes in verses 5 to 11. Someone hurt me, says Paul. Um, verses 5 to 11. Someone hurt me, but, but now I want them to be forgiven. I want to act out of love. I want to act out of grace because that's the, that's the God who we serve together. Have a look down at verse 7. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. We know who he's talking about. Well, we can see the principle, can't we? Verse 8, I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. He loves them. He doesn't want to cause them pain. Piece of evidence number two. Paul, um, Paul got to Troas. You can see where Troas is on the map right up at the top. But he's not happy because he's thinking about the Corinthians all the time out of love. Verse 12. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. Titus had been sent off to Corinth to get some news. And uh, Paul was desperate to know how the Corinthians were doing. So I said goodbye to them. He carries on and went on to Macedonia, where he thought he might be able to get some news about his friends, the Corinthians. Loved them so much. Paul has acted out of love and forgiveness, and it might have looked awkward and weak, but he's done it all in the sight of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 10. And Jesus' ministry often looked awkward and weak as well. But because, because Paul's motives are good ones, because this message of grace has made the man of grace, the message makes the man, then you can trust him. You can trust a ministry like that. That acts not to grieve people, but to love them and forgive them. You can see that it comes from a good place. And that is from the place of the gospel of love in the sight of Jesus Christ himself. Let me just say two more things, two more implications as we finish, and then we'll draw things to a close. You know, we, 
We need to follow leaders in our Christian church who have a ministry of faithfulness and forgiveness. They won't always be the smooth talkers. They won't always even be the people who've got it all together, but they'll be faithful to God, faithful to the gospel. You know, I feel the temptation to look for people who are well presented, who've got it together, who keep things tidy, who've got everything under control. But Paul says, before you look for those things, look for ministers who are faithful and forgiving. It might look a bit awkward sometimes. It's not always neat and tidy. You know, we, um, we look for ministers sometimes who we think will be nice to us, who will give us, who give us the attention that we feel we deserve. Paul says we should be looking for ministers who stay close to the gospel, knowing that the gospel will sometimes unsettle us. It'll sometimes be uncomfortable, but it'll be good for us, yeah? We mustn't be concerned with looking for someone who's more interested in doing things for us personally than he is for doing things for the sake of the gospel. We need to find ministers like that. And, and if we're Christians, as I finish, we will want to find a ministry like that. You know, so I look after my family and my friends and, and the people at church as far as possible. I will want to show the same integrity as the Apostle Paul. It's not just enough for people to like me. I want to be like the gospel to them. And we can ask ourselves, you know, does my faithfulness resemble God's faithfulness? Will it remind them of God's faithfulness as I, as I speak to them? Do I ever sacrifice my peace of mind for their spiritual well-being? Do we have what Paul calls a depth of love for our small group? Because what starts as a test of Paul in, uh, in 2 Corinthians is, is, is in many ways a test of us, you see. It's a test of me. Because as I decide whether or not I'm going to stand with the apostle in, in, in what he teaches, I'm deciding whether I'm going to stand with the real gospel. And I'm deciding whether I think that this God is faithful. But God said he is faithful. And Paul reminds us that he's faithful. He's, his promises are always yes in Jesus Christ. If we've got this wrong, then his promise of forgiveness is, is yes in Jesus Christ as he anoints us and seals us with his ownership and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. as a down payment of what is still to come. Let's carry on thinking about that, but I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul's faithfulness to the gospel. Thank you that he was faithful just like you are faithful with all of your promises, yes, in Jesus Christ, that he wasn't unloving, he was loving and, and longed for forgiveness and, and had a real concern for your people. And so I pray, Father, we'd follow people like that. And I pray that in time we become people like that too. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.